like to invite you to open up your Bibles uh, to Proverbs 15 and also Proverbs 30. You can just put uh, your finger between uh, th- those two passages. And today, uh, we, as we have been doing for the past uh, several weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs. And this is a book that is hard to go through verse by verse or chapter by chapter. It's a book that's best to go through thematically. This is a book that has a lot of topics that deal with our everyday lives. And so as we approach this passage today, we're going to be looking and considering what does this book of wisdom say about money? What does this book have to say about our finances and wealth? And that's a a big question. And so we're going to be looking at uh, two passages, Proverbs 15, verses 15 through 17, and also jumping to Proverbs chapter 30. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. Proverbs 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Then jumping to Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your good word that you have given to us. Words that are given to us so that we would know you, that we would see our sin and our great need of you, but also to to see and to know your great love and how you pursue us and have given us your son so that we would have life with you. So, Father, be with us now as we consider your word, and we just pray for your spirit to plant your word deeply within our hearts so that our life would bear much fruit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. One of the greatest tensions within marriage arises from finances. And the reason why this is the case is that when uh, a couple is getting married and they are marrying a different person, they are marrying a person with a different story and experience with money. Each person has their own unique money story. So each person has a different answer to the question of how did you receive money in the first place? What was the first thing that you bought? And as you would think through these questions and you would realize, it's like we have two very different experiences with money. And so you're then in marriage, these two different people with these different experiences are coming together. And so naturally, tension, confusion, conflict would happen. In fact, when counselors talk about the issues that come up in their marital counseling, that when people come to them, as clients come to them, the number one thing that's most likely at the root of what people are coming to counseling for is money on a ratio of three to one. 
And the reason why finances and money are creating tension within marriages is because of this fact, that our use of money reveals our priorities, that our desire of money reveals what is important to us. Now, when we think about money and talk about money, there can be a lot of awkwardness when we talk about it for that very reason, because money reveals our priorities. But Proverbs speaks a lot about money. In fact, if you look up at the number of times Proverbs speaks about money, it's over 70 times. Jesus spoke about money. Paul wrote about money. So God has a lot to say about this thing in our life called money because money is a big part of our everyday life. Just think to yourself this morning. What interaction did you have with money this morning? It could be going to the coffee shop to buy coffee, to go to the gas station to get gas to, as the offering plate coming by, putting money in the offering plates. And so God has a lot to say about money because it's a big part of our everyday life. And so as we think about money, some of the things that God says is that it's through money that we care and provide for our family. But another thing that God says, and this is even within Proverbs of Proverbs 3, is that we should tithe and give to the Lord. So like in Matthew 23, this is Jesus rebuking the Pharisees. Jesus says this in Matthew 23, verse 23, that you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of mercy, justice, and faith. That you should tithe, but do not neglect these more important things. And so the Pharisees are tithing. They're giving to the Lord from their spice rack. That kind of blows from my mind. They're giving the, the cumin and the curry, and they're tithing that, but they're neglecting the poor. But the Proverbs say to do both, to tithe and be generous to the poor. And this is something just to think about for tithing before we dive deep into Proverbs 30, that tithing is about obedience. And this is what Ray Ortland says on this. That tithing is entry-level obedience, and then we go from there. In fact, it is the first item in a Christian's monthly budget. The first check that we write. 10% of our income that goes to the cause of Christ. How could it be otherwise? Because something comes first in our budgets. Is it going to be God, or is it going to be something or someone else? That's Ray Ortland. But the purpose of the Proverbs, as the Proverbs says to do both, of be generous to the poor and be generous to the cause of Christ, the point of the Proverbs, as you think about all these 70 verses, the point of the Proverbs is actually about sacrifice and generosity. That is the way of wisdom because the way of wisdom is none other than Jesus Christ. And as we think about these verses here in, in Proverbs 15 and 30, here's what... Proverbs 30 is trying to highlight for us that there is a danger in poverty and there is a danger in wealth. And so the insight that wisdom has for us is this. Give me neither poverty nor riches. And so wisdom wants us to ask this question. Are you aware enough of the dangers that 
come with poverty or wealth to ask for neither of those things. Are you aware of the dangers? That is the question that wisdom wants us to ask this morning. And so as we continue down this path, how should we think about money? How should we think about money? Because Proverbs, one of the first things to highlight is that Proverbs speaks about money in very good terms. And, and how Proverbs speaks about money is that it's a blessing from the Lord, that, pro, that it's through money that you're able to care for your family. It's putting food on the table, that with money you're able to have enough. But it's also where you have money, you're able to be a blessing to others by giving it generously to others. But so Proverbs is speaking about money very positively. But in our passage before us, we're seeing Proverbs talk about wealth for a moment. And so let's just think about wealth for a moment because there's a disconnect in our day into 2024 and like 1200 BC here. Because when we talk about wealth today, we're talking about inheritance. We're talking about investments. But we're also talking about a level of luxury. But if in ancient Israel, there actually was no such thing as the middle class. Because wealth in Israel meant having a well-fed family, a stable farm to pass on to your sons, to having good crops. There was no such thing as the middle class for the Israelites. And so that's just thinking about how the Proverbs are talking about money. That money is a very positive and good thing where we are able to care for one another and be a blessing to others. But before we get down this topic too much further, there's something that we need to highlight as well. And this is something to understand just to how Proverbs work. Because Proverbs, we can read these verses and think that these verses are promises. But Proverbs are not promises, they're predictions. But Proverbs are not promises. And we see this actually very clearly when it comes to parenting and our relationships within our family, but also money. Like here's Proverbs 22, verse 4. That is a, really helps us understand what I'm getting at here. Proverbs 22, verse 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. If you read this proverb as a promise, you're thinking that following Jesus and when you're humble and honoring God, then you're going to have material prosperity. That's not what the proverbs are about whatsoever. But when I first heard this idea that proverbs are not promises, when I heard this idea years ago, I really struggled with this. I actually, like, I remember my professor, Ian Duguid, at the time talking about this, and I really struggled. You can probably even say I had a little crisis of how do I read the Bible at this moment? Because what, I'm like, what do you mean by this, Ian? Can't I take God's word at face value and read God's word and put my trust in God's word? And the answer is yes, absolutely, but just to highlight something, about Proverbs is that you don't read every part of Scripture the same way. Like just for example, Psalms are songs and prayers. You read songs and prayers differently than you would read, say, a letter. Some books are historical stories. Some are bio biographies. And, but the Proverbs are Proverbs, that we need to read them 
as Proverbs. And so what I'm highlighting is a unique dynamic of Proverbs. And I'm raising this up at this point for an important reason. What the Proverbs are doing are making observations about life. And he is noticing something about money. That money, that we can make money dangerous. And if we expect Proverbs to be promises in our life, then we're going to look at money as a sign of God's favor in in our life. That the money that we have is going to be a sign of God's love for you. And friends, that's far from the truth. The only sign that you need of God's love for you is on the cross where Jesus hung and he bled and he died for you. That's the only sign that you need. And this is the reason why money is actually dangerous. This is something to know, also know, to know about money. And it's not even so much that money is dangerous. It's that we are so easily deceived by the devil and the world and our own flesh that we can take this good thing of money and use it and deceive ourselves and think about money as the real gift of God when the real gift of God is Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins and giving us the good person of the Holy Spirit to work in our life. We make money dangerous. We are the ones who make money dangerous. And we make money into an idol. And this is what the Proverbs from Proverbs 30 is getting at. We make money into an idol. That we can take a good thing and make it ultimate and to make it supreme and to make it first in our life. And that is an idol. And so there is something to know about poverty and wealth and that there's a danger for us in both our poverty and also our wealth. And so I want us to think for a few moments about the danger of poverty and to think about the danger of wealth. Because these Proverbs want us to see these dangers and to be happy and content with simply having enough. So let's first think about the danger of poverty. And this is, once again, Proverbs 30. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. As we think about poverty for a moment, it's easy to misunderstand poverty. Because within Proverbs, there are two sources of poverty. One source of poverty is laziness. Another source is injustice. Like So laziness would be Proverbs 10, verses 4 and 5. Injustice being Proverbs 13, verse 23. The reality is there's no shame in poverty due to injustice on the parts of of the poor, but there is the shame for those who would exploit the poor and get ahead of life at the cost of the poor. In fact, but on the other hand, like when you think about the source of poverty being laziness, in fact, the Proverbs don't even dignify the lazy by calling them poor. The Proverbs highlight that as Lazy bones, sluggard, slacker, doesn't even dignify them by calling them poor. And so sadly, our culture looks at poor people and say, and thinks, hey, I was able to get ahead by my own work ethic. They're just lazy. That's not it at all. In fact, that's scapegoating and robs 
poor people of their dignity. This is Proverbs 17, verse 5. Whoever mocks the poor mocks his maker, insults his maker. And so, like, as you think about poverty for a moment, it's not laziness. In fact, think about socioeconomic class for a moment. The whole idea of trust fund babies demonstrate the laziness that comes with entitlement and luxury. Statistically, when one generation obtains wealth and passes it on, passes it on to the future generations, it's dwindled within three to four generations. Entitlement is actually its own form of laziness. But think about poverty here. The danger of poverty is to blame one's circumstances and curse God. It's easy to be discontent and jealous, envious, to look at another person and covet what they have. You can be entitled, thinking to yourself, I deserve that. Why don't I have that? God, why didn't, haven't you given this to me? And just to highlight the danger of poverty and what I just described for you is the danger of the heart. And every single one of us here today has said these things. I want that. Why don't I have what they have? To be envious and coveting like that. And see, this danger arises because we look at money and we understand that money is a good thing. It's how we provide for our family. It's how we put food on the table. It's what we use to pay the rent and the mortgage. And when we feel like we don't have enough, we think, I need help. So we are able to look at money and, and see that's a good thing. But this danger of blaming our circumstances and cursing God arises because we actually understand this is a good thing that God gives to us. And it's good to ask for our financial needs. Jesus even says this, give us our daily bread. But we need to make sure we're asking for our daily bread from the right heart motivation, where we're never blaming our circumstances, where we're never cursing God, when we're never being jealous of another person and coveting what they have, but to receive things in faith, to say, God, you are giving me these things right now, and thank you for them. I need daily bread. We need to receive things in faith and love for God. And so the danger of poverty actually is discontentment and to receive things in, in resentment. And so another danger that accompanies poverty is this scarcity mindset. If things are too scarce, then you're tempted to actually hold on too tightly to them so that even in your poverty, you're not generous or sacrificial. But thankfully, Jesus reframes our material poverty. We see this in the poor church of Macedonia. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The poor church of Macedonia, uh, this was an area that was war-torn, that this was a region that had three wars within a hundred years. And Paul, when he's writing to the wealthy church of Corinth, he's saying this church in Macedonia is, is the example for you to follow. This is what Paul writes, verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 2. Out of the most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And in fact, when Paul was discouraging them to give, they pleaded with him. said, no, we want to give. See, Jesus reframes even our material poverty. And so as there are dangers to poverty, there are 
dangers to wealth. Once again, look at the, our verses here. Proverbs 38 and 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? This sounds uh, similar to Matthew 19. There's a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. What must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So naturally, as with Jesus, there's a conversation between Jesus and this rich young ruler. And Jesus asks him, well, you've got to keep the commandments. Well, which ones? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the rich young ruler says, hey, I've done all these things ever since the, my youth. And Jesus tells him, well, take all that you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And this is when Jesus says this, it is harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And so the disciples heard all this and they, they actually panicked and, and said like, Lord, then who can be saved? And it's in that moment and in that context that Jesus says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the danger of wealth makes us think that this life today is better than eternal life. That life today is better than life with Jesus. For example, this past week in eastern Pennsylvania and other places in the country has been rather Arctic temperatures, supposedly. But it's been really cold. But just imagine having the luxury of having a private jet to hop on and going to Cancun for like the past few days. That sounds amazing and luxurious. I would do that in a heartbeat. But imagine every single day being like that for you. The, the, the danger of wealth is to trick you and to deceive you into thinking that this life is pretty darn good and you don't need God for that. That's the life of luxury and convenience, just to be able to do things because you want to and you can. And see, here's Jesus, and he is actually the one who's offering us eternal life. And wealth, the danger of wealth, offers us luxury and security and ease. And so we make it incredibly tricky and deceptive where we, we think that having more stuff actually satisfies our heart. Having more money satisfies our heart. But the, here's the gospel truth from John 4. This is Jesus and the woman at the well. That we are thirsty even when we have a water bottle in our hand. You can sit with that. We are thirsty even when we have a water bottle in our hand. That we are hungry even when we are eating dinner. There is something that we long for that this world cannot satisfy. That there is someone whom we desire and yearn for that no person on this world can satisfy. And C.S. Lewis is getting to this in his weight of glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what a vacation at the beach is like. We are far too easily pleased. See, wealth can be a danger to you. It can be a spiritual hazard to you because it blinds you to your neediness. 
do you see your neediness? This is what Jesus said in in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually impoverished. See, blessed are those who see their need. When you have plenty of money, when you have that ease and that security and that convenience, you do not see your own neediness. And this is why this proverb, the wisdom, gives us these words. That there is another option here. The, another, the, the option in highlighting the danger of poverty, the danger of wealth, is to ask for neither. To be content with enough. This is verse 8. Feed me with food that is needful for me. What's interesting to note about these verses here, these are the only, this is the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs. It's the only prayer in the whole book of Proverbs. I find that to be very startling and very surprising. This is a prayer of wisdom. It's a prayer of contentment. And the thing about contentment is that it can be learned. Paul writes to the Philippians, I have learned contentment. I've been taught how to be content. The thing to notice about that, what Paul's own words, is that he's writing that letter to the Philippian church from a prison cell. He's able to be content and to rejoice in the circumstances that he, is, has been, that he finds himself in. And so the promise that we have is that God will provide for you. The Proverbs say that, yes, but I'm not just saying that on the basis of the Proverbs. I'm saying that on the basis of the Psalms. I'm saying that from Jesus' own lips, that God is the one who provides for you, and he will give you what you need in the time that you need it, and he delights to do so, but he is the one who defines need. And that's the promise that God gives to us, and that is something that actually Paul learned firsthand throughout his life. But as we think about money, I want to end on this. And it's with the example of Paul. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and he was seeking to raise money uh, for the church in Jerusalem, he did not use his apostolic authority and say, I command you to give. He didn't do that. He didn't coerce the church. He didn't appeal to their emotions or our emotions with sensational stories. Instead, he gives the church. He gives us a picture of Jesus. This is 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. He, so Paul simply shows us Jesus, the one who was rich with heaven, and he put that aside for you, to come after you. He put aside his riches and his throne and gave that up so that we would actually be rich with him forever and share in his wonderful inheritance. So that Jesus set all that aside so that we would have eternal life for him. And that is the way of wisdom. That is the way of wisdom. And this is the way of Jesus Christ. And this wisdom is offered to us and given to us through Jesus Christ. That in his word, we know his wisdom. And he changes our view of money and the ways that we use it so that we can actually be content with enough. Because wisdom knows When enough is enough. Wisdom looks at poverty and wealth and says, there's danger here. And so we 
are enabled to simply ask the Lord to give us what we need, to give us our daily bread. And I love this proverb, feed me with the food that is needful for me. The Lord is the one who knows our needs even far beyond that we do. And he is the one who promises to provide for us and care for us. So do we trust him to do so? And as we think about money, our money reveals our priorities and what is important to us. And so is the wisdom of Christ. Is Jesus himself important to you? So that we are able to say, enough is enough. I do not want these dangers in my life. Let's pray for the courage and the conviction to have such wisdom and courage to pray those prayers. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We thank you for the good life that you have shown us. That in your son, Jesus Christ, that we are, are, find our sins are forgiven. That we belong. That you care for us. So Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace. And Father, we pray that we would receive your wonderful work in our life. And be happy and to be joyful and to be content with that. That your work in our life would satisfy, that we would be satisfied by what you have done for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would expand our hearts, that we would truly see the depths of your love and grace for us. So, Father, we pray that you would give us neither poverty nor riches. And give us the wisdom to see the dangers of the way that we use money in our life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.